This is Brain Diet, episode 174, The Autoimmune Diet Protocol with E.C. Sinkowski. I love so much focusing on the food we feed our body, but I love even more focusing on the stuff we feed our brain. My name is Taylor Ann Macy, and I am a certified life coach. Welcome to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain the best information. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I chose today's guest for this conversation very specifically because I had seen this person's content and was so struck by how well presented it was and how applicable it was to me having an autoimmune condition and those that I know and coach that have autoimmune conditions. And so I reached out to this person and said, hey, I love what you do. Please come on and be a guest. And they were so generous with their time and willing to come on and chat with me. And so in this episode, we go into depth about what it means, what autoimmunity means. We define the autoimmune diet protocol, where it came from essentially, for the most part, what it entails and what effects it actually has, the pros, the cons. And we talk about the different mental implications of autoimmune diet protocol. And it was a really fascinating conversation. And I know that I learned a lot and I'm really glad that I get to share this with you. Um, E.C. Sinkowski is our guest today and they are a nutritionist and very experienced in the world of dietetics. And so the knowledge is very sound and the wisdom shared is very profound. So I am really stoked to be able to share this because I feel like it is pretty rare that you can find such data-driven information that isn't sensationalized or marketed as is often the case in the fitness and nutrition world, but especially, you know, fitness and nutrition world online on social media. And so I really had so much respect for the way that everything was shared in this conversation between me and EC. So I am stoked to be able to share it with you. Please enjoy this conversation and I will talk to you next week. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I am delighted to have our guest here today, E.C. Sinkowski. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. To begin, can we get an intro to you, your background, and a little bit about what you do? Yeah, I mean, my nutrition background is that I have a master's in nutrition and functional medicine. Um, and then I started my own business called Optimize Me Nutrition. And I try to just bring basic, simple, yet effective dietary solutions to individuals, to people who want to be nutrition coaches, to businesses and corporate wellness programs. And so that's the services I offer. Yeah. What drove you in that direction? I, I think that's such a fascinating career path. Yeah. I mean, a little bit on accident, I guess. So I used to work for CrossFit, um, CrossFit corporate oh, I love and that. yeah. And I actually had continuing education requirements for my role there and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just decided to start a master's in nutrition. It was partially related to what I did, but it certainly wasn't necessary for what I did. I, I loved the topic. I had bio background, all that other stuff. And 
So I started a master's in nutrition just for continuing ed and then realized, okay, this is actually what I want to do full time. So that's when I transitioned then to kind of doing my own thing in nutrition. Um, yeah. So it was a little bit of like a serendipitous or an accident or I don't know how to say it, but yeah, it wasn't, wasn't really intentional. I love that. Well, and that's, I didn't know that about you. That's really interesting that you had worked for CrossFit. I would have so yeah. many separate questions about that. Okay. <laughs> for, another for, yeah. <laughs> for another yeah, time. Yeah. I worked perhaps. for them. Um, I started for them part-time as a seminar staff trainer back in 2006. Um, but that led to a full-time position around 2011. So, and I resigned in 2017. So I definitely saw some transition and some big growth at the company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were right in the thick of all of the changes in that community. I've, I've watched from yes. afar, of course, and you know, had my own opinions so that that's really, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, what I am really excited to uh, get your wisdom here on today is we are going to be discussing a little bit about autoimmunity. And so to start, I would love just to have um, an overall general definition of what autoimmunity mm. means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really steal this from my own immunology professor because I like the way that she described it the best. And it was sort of that this, you know, your immune system is constantly surveilling your body to determine what kind of tissues, molecules, compounds, you know, it's asking the questions, are you me? Are you part of my own body? And the second question would be, are you dangerous? And so it's evaluating what's going on based on those sort of questions. And what we have in autoimmunity is the individual no longer has tolerance to self. And so proteins or tissues that should be recognized as your own self, maybe it's part of your pancreas or, you know, maybe it's the lining of your small intestine or whatever it is, the body is recognizing it as a threat, unfortunately. And so the immune system then starts to attack our own body tissues, which leads to the loss of functions. And of course, the different symptoms that people experience. Yeah. And from what I understand, generally speaking, they are more common in women. Is this correct? Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, everything in biology, there's trends, but nothing perfectly divides that always sure. goes this way or that way. And so, yeah, I think out of the collection of autoimmune diseases, it's something like 80% of people who have an autoimmune condition are women, but it's certainly not that every autoimmune disease biases that way at all. Sure. sure. Um, and from what I understand, and again, I'm not the expert in immunology, but you know, um, we have a lot of the genes that code for our immune system on the X chromosome. And so with the double X chromosome, that this is why it, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Again, like most things in biology, it can be quite good because then it means that we have a more robust immune system, but at the same time when it's overactive or faulty, that perhaps this is why we have this greater link with women and autoimmunity. Interesting. And I know that you've spoken to this as well about their, I don't know, is there an exact number of defined autoimmune conditions? I know you said there's over 80. Is that correct? It's over 80. Yeah. I don't actually know if there's a, a specific number that that was the stat that I saw. Yeah. 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 And, and I've, I've seen similar things, um, but that kind of helps me segue into what else I want to pick your brain on a little bit today is yeah. the idea of the autoimmune protocol diet, because as mm. I have gotten a lot of uh, exposure to in the field that I've been working for the last couple of years is them being, uh, the number being so high of potential autoimmune conditions, the, the spectrum of, of symptoms and, and, uh, physical manifestations run the gamut, right? There are things, uh, that can affect pretty much every part of the body. And so when you have I've always been intrigued by this when people are saying like, this is kind of the autoimmune protocol diet. It's always been like, well, wait, if people understood that it's not like there's just one type of autoimmunity, mm -hmm. there's such a vast um, spectrum of it that I think it's 
logically, when you kind of can see that information, it's like, well, it doesn't really make sense to have one specific approach for such a wide variety of conditions. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think this is true with almost all health conditions. I think cancer is another great example. There's over, you know, mm-hmm. tens and tens, I think over a hundred different types of cancer. And yet when people hear the word cancer, I think they think of it the same way. It's like, oh, I could just fix it with diet. And so the same thing is going to be true with autoimmunity. I mean, the same thing is different, even true with cardiovascular disease, maybe not in the sense of so many number of forms, but it certainly manifests itself in different ways. You know, not everybody has the same problem when we say we have cardiovascular disease. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, actually somebody on social media commented at the best, it's like health is simple and disease is complex. Mm. Once we look at a disease state, we find that there could be hundreds or tens of these manifestations of it. And it's really hard to get it under control. Again, I'm going to use cancer, but it's true for autoimmunity. It therapies are really hard to figure out because they're so specific and they're so individualized. And it's like, and why is the person's body attacking, you know, their, you know, their spinal cord and and this person, and why is it attacking their joints and somebody else and go on down the line? Why is it the manifestation so different? Um, Arguably, if we all had the same type of cancer, all had the same type of autoimmune disease, we probably would be further along on cures, right? Because then we would just have so many more people and treatment options to look at. And so, yeah, I think that's what gets lost a lot in social media is understanding that the disease state is very complex. Um, and preventative health is 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 much more simple because it's kind of like a shotgun approach. We don't really know what we're doing. We don't really know how all the different nutrients are totally interacting. What we find is that there's really big trends. You know, this whole unprocessed food diet seems to correlate with health well. We know that exercise seems to correlate with every positive outcome we want. We know we got to have good to sleep, you know, all of that stuff. I, we don't really know all of the mechanisms, why they're so effective. And that's exactly why we can't use them for a treatment because treatment's so specific. We'd have to know what is this specifically doing to this specific tissue, et cetera. Right. And I have to imagine again, just from my own anecdotal experience, but oftentimes with autoimmune conditions, because they are so almost infantile in their, in their research and treatment options, the option of something to help can be very appealing. And Mm. so I I can see why some people are drawn to something like, you know, a a specific protocol diet simply from a space of like just a a deep desire to feel better. Right. And when you feel like you are isolated and don't have a lot of options, sometimes those things can be enticing. Um, One thing that I would love to have defined is there actually is a autoimmune protocol diet that Mm. has been marketed. Can you tell us what that looks like? Yeah. And to be honest, um, I, I did a little research to try to track it back. I think there's probably a few different kind of founders, um, for it. And so I don't always want to put the onus or responsibility on one person, but certainly I have seen the autoimmune protocol diet by Sarah Ballantine, who authored, um, I think it's like the paleo mom, she goes by paleo mom or something like that. And she has like a paleo cookbook as well. It's, it's a very extreme. And again, there's probably other slight manifestations. I don't think she's the only person who has a version. Um, but it's a very, what I would call extreme paleo diet. Um, you know, these kind of extreme interpretations of what some people think is a clean diet. Unfortunately, I, I hate that word that is used so much, but of course, grains, legumes, and dairy go out, but things like pseudo grains, which would be kind of like rice. Um, and then also, of course, all processed oils and sugars. I think coffee goes out the window, nightshades go out the window, eggs, especially the whites, apparently. Um, anything that potentially cross react with gluten, which I think we've already kind of said at this point, but a lot of that stuff, alcohol, 
um, even some pain medications like NSAID. So it's, I'm not totally sure what people are left eating. Certainly some types of meat, certainly some greens, certainly some types of fruit, but, but it's quite limited. Oh yeah. Like seeds go out the window. Um, so very, very limiting. And you're left with certainly some healthy foods, but it's quite restrictive. Again, mostly meat, veg, some veggies, and then some fruit, I think. And is it sold somewhat alongside the idea of weight loss? Cause I would imagine if you mm. did such, um, such a steep elimination of most of the things you're eating. I mean, you would be very quickly thrown into a deficit. So is that, is that how it was kind of marketed? Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, to be perfectly honest, again, I don't know her entire story yeah. and I don't follow it from a very, you know, a, you know, understanding her diet and recommendations. Now she did lose a lot of weight herself following this. So I think she lost over a hundred pounds and she found that she reversed her Hashimoto's thyroiditis, um, symptoms when she went through this diet. But it is a good question of, of really what was driving the change for her. Was some of the weight loss implicated in the change that she saw? Was it truly something in her diet change that was affecting the immune system? And there's also just, as you know, people go through periods of autoimmunity where there's a flare or when systems get better or not. And so it's hard to say what really drove her change. But yes, when she implemented this diet, she did lose weight and she also reversed her autoimmune condition. When you say reversed. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I don't think she, I, I really don't want to speak for her. I don't think she advertises it a weight loss diet. But I do think it's part of her story, which of course makes it interesting to the mainstream. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, that type of idea is compelling, no doubt. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It's always an interesting thing to to see stories like that. What I am so curious about is what you understand to be the relationship between diet and autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Because it seems like this, this approach, this extreme paleo approach seems to make the claim that yes, if you eliminate all of these things, then you can potentially reverse your autoimmune conditions. Now, again, we've established there's a wide variety of them and mm -hmm. some might be more effective than others. What, what would you say to that? Yeah. You know, the research on it really doesn't show that's the case. I think we have a very clear example where it can be the case, and that would be gluten and celiac. Mm -hmm. um, that would probably be our strongest evidence that there is a dietary intervention that really can put autoimmunity in remission for people by being strict gluten-free. And if you were celiac. Now, what's interesting is we do find that autoimmunity tends to cluster, um, meaning that when you have one autoimmune condition, you typically have an increased risk of having another autoimmune condition. Mm -hmm. So there is the case where people have celiac and they don't actually know. They have another diagnosed autoimmune condition. They go gluten-free. They see some symptom alleviation. And it's actually because they were just undiagnosed celiac. And so how much of that is at play when people kind of change their diet and quote, clean up their diet is also interesting to think about because I think that's going to be um, part of it too. But we really don't see a ton of research that shows the autoimmune protocol has um, reversed or put people in remission. There is a study, I think, with 15 individuals with um, IBD. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't a blinded study. So people coming in are kind of told, hey, we're going to go on a diet and it has the potential to, you know, put you in remission and it's so powerful. So we, we can't discount the fact of the placebo effect. And I think they were also supplemented with iron and vitamin D, which of course with a GI disorder, it's like, okay, well, maybe they just had lack of absorption on some key nutrients as well. 
And it was very small, you know, 15 people is quite limited to start drawing some big conclusions from. Um, and another study I think was looking at autoimmune um, thyroid and they found that thyroid function did not actually change with the diet, although the people felt better, which is a really interesting um, observation that we also have to keep in mind that there is the power of whole foods, as you know, to, you know, have just more energy and better all overall quality of life. And this quote, feeling better is very real, yet maybe their thyroid function has not gotten any better. And so those are the studies that I know of that are specific to the autoimmune protocol diet. And so I would say that's quite limited to then have a broad scale recommendation that everybody with any autoimmune condition should do it. And it will reduce or eliminate your symptoms. Right. And then if it doesn't, it means you're doing it wrong or you're not doing it as, as strictly or not well enough. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's the real problem. You know, I don't want to be against people trying some of these diets. I can't imagine some of the, the symptoms and the difficulties that people struggle with on an autoimmune disease. So, you know, I don't want to say that we shouldn't try things that we should always wait for the double blind placebo control trial for everything to be perfectly done with hundreds of people. I mean, that would be nice. It's just not going to happen in our lifetime. So who am I to say that we can't try some of these things? Um, but they do get a little bit risky from a nutrient deficiency point of view. That That's one thing we have to think about. Um, you know, if you go off meat, I mean, okay, what about B12? What, you know, if you eliminate dairy, what about calcium? These are essential nutrients. We got to think about that. So I would recommend with a nutrition, working with a nutritionist. But I think the real harm is some of the, um, the neuroses it develops, you know, is this idea, like you said that, okay, if your symptoms do not go away, it's because you're not following the diet close enough that maybe there's some cross contamination or a cross reactive product with gluten. And it's, it's like, what are you, what are these people left eating? I mean, talk about quality of life, let alone the potential nutrition deficiencies, and even this recommendation that it's like you have to just keep going or get more severe, it, it's just so misguided. So if somebody wanted to do an elimination diet, again, who am I to say no? I, I would recommend doing it with nutritionists and also just have the wherewithal that not everything is cured naturally. Some things we do not have the answer for, unfortunately, and that's not your fault. And it doesn't mean that you haven't adhered to the diet close enough. Yeah. And I, it's fascinating to observe at a distance of, of the types of mental implications that could be mm. a result of something like this is that type of the relationship with food would definitely change. And that obsession and that perfectionism, I imagine would kind of be looming when, if you are operating under the narrative of, if I do this better, I will get better when in reality it's completely unrelated. And I think that that alone can be enough of a diversion, I would hope. And again, I, I think there can be a time and place to try things for a variety mm -hmm. of reasons. Mm -hmm. But I think um, it's such an important piece to understand uh, that it's not a cure-all. And if other areas of your quality of life suffer, then it doesn't necessarily have to be the only way. Totally. Yeah. I mean, most of the benefit of these diets is that, you know, you know, the statistics, most people are not eating enough fruits and vegetables. Most people are overeating the processed stuff. And so that's, that's why people quote, feel better and see some improvement is they've simply cut back on the processed stuff. And so right. it's like, well, why can't we just start there? I mean, why don't, you yeah. know, why are we eliminating bell pepper? You know, it's just yeah. sort of, 
it's yeah. gotten so far afield from like what a healthy diet looks like. And that's what's so interesting. And it's not just in the autoimmune community only. It's just in this clean community, this obsession yeah. with this idea of like, I'm more healthy because I've eliminated. It's like, well, potentially you're more healthy by decreasing processed foods, but eliminating and eliminating whole foods. I mean, we've just totally gone to this really odd extreme. It is an odd extreme. And that I think is would be an interesting thing to know more about is if, of course, if anybody eliminated processed foods and, uh, food, excuse me, and added more nutrient dense types or only consumed more nutrients, nutrient dense foods, logically that would make sense for someone to start feeling overall better. But I think that's such an important distinction. I'm so glad you brought that up to say it isn't necessarily because of a shift in your autoimmunity per se. It's Mm -hmm. likely much more a reflection of, the lack of some of the other foods that could have been contributing to just overall not feeling well. Yeah. Um, I think too, personally for me, lifestyle plays a role and it it does with everybody, obviously how you're feeling day to day. I know that with my condition, it affects the brain, spinal cord and optic nerve. And so I'll have inflammation in those areas at times. And so for me, things like sleep, hydration, regular movement, nutrient dense foods, those are types of things that can help me manage a flare. But mm-hmm. again, with the caveat of saying this isn't curing it, this isn't fixing it, this isn't making it go away. This is simply saying, how can we use lifestyle and diet as a way to help manage the symptoms of a condition where possible, right? In the cases of like an inflammatory response, but also sometimes it's beyond our control. We're not able mm-hmm. to manage it through any of those types of lifestyle behaviors. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we can't underestimate the power of what some simple things like getting enough sleep can do for a person. I mean, again, taking this out of an autoimmune condition, just from a stress condition, we we have the ability to handle and perceive stress differently when we're have had a good night's sleep versus very tired. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing is going to be true, in my opinion, with an autoimmune condition, that just having your exercise, your routine, the ability to go to sleep is, is, undoubtedly going to help with some of the symptoms, of course, to a point, um, then not doing any of that stuff at all. And so that's where I think so much of this good diet, exercise, sleep comes into play for people who have health conditions. It's almost helps them continue to manage the symptoms versus necessarily doing anything for their disease. Yeah, absolutely. And the way I understand it, let me see if I can say this correctly, is typically autoimmune conditions are chronic conditions, but not Mm -hmm. all chronic conditions are autoimmune conditions. Is that correct? For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we have, I mean, there's so many chronic diseases, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, diabetes. I mean, you name something that's going on at a high rate. We've, you know, cancer, um, we've got a lot of different chronic conditions and not all of them are attacking the immune system. And so, yeah, autoimmune conditions would be kind of a subset of that, especially if the person cannot put it in remission. You know, if somebody can go gluten-free and they no longer have symptoms or any kind of diet concerns, you know, it's not really chronic, although it's chronic in the sense of it has to be on their forefront to continue to adhere to that diet, but it's not necessarily that they're constantly suffering from it. Yeah. But there could be something that is chronic that, has the chance to be put into remission or reversed with things like diet and lifestyle and healthy behaviors, right? Totally. Totally. The G I mean, GI ones are a perfect example. People go through flare-ups all the time of Crohn's or IBD, and then they go through periods where everything's quote fine. Right. And so there's these different, and that's, I think that's probably 
some of what the hardest is about an autoimmune condition with these flares is it could be unprovoked um, or you don't really know what provoked it, right? And it, it you don't really have control over it per se. And I think that's why some of these diets are so attractive. It, it puts the control back to the individual or it, it markets it as though Falsely, you have the control, yeah. right? It, you know, it, it's this idea that you no longer have to kind of be at the whims of these things that aren't really under your control. And so I, I totally sympathize with that. I understand why it's hundred percent attractive. Unfortunately, it's not really the, you know, foolproof a way to get control. And, and really there isn't. And a lot of these cases there is, it's not so clear cut as just cut out gluten, right? It, it's going to be something that you have to just manage as it comes up. And when you talk about gluten, are you specifically referring to something like in celiac where it's directly related to mm -hmm. diet? Okay. Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And I don't think, I mean, again, we'd, we'd want to get the autoimmune expert on here or an immunologist on here, but I don't know that we have a ton of other um, autoimmune conditions where it's so clear cut. I mean, you're going to have all of these anecdotes from people who say, I did this and it, it went in remission or I did this and I was cured from it. But to follow a protocol to be able to give out to people and say, this is what you should do, I, I think that's why it's so difficult is because we don't have that, you know, um, and we do have some different therapies that we can use depending on the condition, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, there's different of these DMARD drugs that we can use to help people with their joint pain or manage that. But again, it, even in those scenarios, it, it's not like one drug works for everybody, Um and so, yeah, I, I don't think that we have a ton of clear-cut protocols for all of these diseases as much as we do for celiac and gluten. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and I think it's an interesting pendulum to see how oftentimes accompanied with people claiming these dietary uh, interventions can be so effective. There's also more or less of either a very explicit or implicit demonization of pharmaceutical intervention. Mm -hmm. And, you know... Granted, that industry certainly isn't perfect, but but there are such valuable and life-saving drugs that, and it's a balance, right? But I, I think that it's important just to recognize that there's not all one good diet, one bad diet, one good drug. Like there's there's just a lot of a lot of gray area in that type of world of diet and lifestyle and pharmaceuticals and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate kind of the backlash that I feel like conventional medicine receives. It truly is amazing. Um, there's so many different life altering interventions that conventional medicine brings. And yet the wellness community just treats everybody who does any of that stuff, like they're demons and they're all just out there for profit and all this stuff. Yet at the same breath, they're going to recommend supplements. And it's like, okay, well, all these drugs undergo way, yeah. <laughs> way more testing and scrutiny than any of these supplements. Oh, and quality control as the product continues to be on the market. And so, yeah, I agree that I don't think the uh, pharmaceutical in industry is without um, issues, but I think we should bring the same level of scrutiny that we do to pharmaceuticals, to supplements and kind of the wellness industry. And unfortunately we don't. And it's just, I mean, I spoke about this on, um, on my podcast, but I, I do think people who, have autoimmunity um, and in really other conditions. I've even heard it from people who have been diagnosed with cancer. There's sort of some shame around it because it's almost like, well, what did you do? You know, you did, you just didn't eat healthy enough and you just didn't exercise. You know, of course you can reverse your fill in the blank condition if you just ate the right thing. And that, that couldn't be further from the truth. And so, yeah, it really winds me up. It's like, 
deterring people from conventional medicine where there might actually be a solution and and really you know preying on people who have conditions that are beyond their control yeah i remember getting comments almost verbatim to what you said mm. and I, I, at the time equated it to someone being like, Hey, I have cancer and someone responding with, well, have you been washing your hands? Are you sure totally. you've been washing your hands? And it's 100%. like, well, come on. You know, I got questions like, well, have you, did you like have any head trauma? Are you under a lot of stress? Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of mental work I had to do just to kind of navigate the the relational aspect of having a newly diagnosed chronic illness. So yeah. that's always been an interesting thing, but I, I do appreciate putting it out on the table that with autoimmune conditions, there are life-saving drugs that are available and that we are so lucky and grateful to have. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's useful to at least explore that option for anybody that is in the, in the face of something like that. I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about your 800 gram challenge because mm -hmm. it's something that I love. So would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, it's basically to eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables each day, the ones of your choice. So you pick which fruits and veggies you want and you can weigh them cooked, canned, frozen, or fresh. doesn't matter on the preparation. And then you continue to eat whatever else you want. So you don't have to worry about restricting any foods. You can still have your protein foods, your dark chocolate, whatever else fits in the day. Um, but there's just this priority on getting a healthy dose of fruits and veggies. Yeah. How did you come up with, with this challenge? I love, I love the way it's presented. Oh, thank you. Um, it kind of evolved, to be honest, uh, over some time. Um, the the sh I'll give the shorter version of it. Um, very long ago, one of my friends in CrossFit just made this offhand comment, you can never eat enough vegetables, right? And it kind of just stuck with me because like, well, that's interesting. Like, how do we really measure quality in the diet? You know, when somebody says they're eating clean, there's that word again, what does that really mean? And so that kind of just was in the back of my mind for a while. And CrossFit, while working for them, they're quite big on measurement. That's why you record your workouts, because that yeah. shows progress. Sure. And so those ideas had been floating in my mind for some time. And when I was doing my master's in nutrition, I came across a study that looked at fruit and vegetable consumption relative to health outcomes. So they were saying, okay, let's look at what people are eating. And then let's, what let's see what happens to them in terms of death and disease. And, and no surprise, the 800 gram number was an important one because that's where the risk of cancer, uh, let's see, stroke, cardiovascular disease, and all causes of dying went down. It was below so 800 with, grams in a day. It, yeah, the people who had 800 grams or more lowered their risk of I cancer, see. stroke, death. And so with those kind of backdrop of, uh, you know, how do I measure quality in the diet and, and just this idea of measuring, I was like, that's really interesting. What about if I try to eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables each day with no other rules and restrictions and see what happens? And so that was mid 2017. And so I played around with it for six months. I was taking data on it, like what counts and what doesn't, you know, is tofu in or out? What are the macros? What does the micros look like? What does fiber look like? All of that stuff, because if you're going to put out an idea on the internet, you you better run it forward and backward a few times. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> and um, thankfully, I was at a CrossFit gym at the time with my good friend, and she was willing to run it as a challenge for her gym in January of 2018. That's kind of when I started posting about it publicly. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. And, and you've posted um, some of these visual aids that I, I think are mm -hmm. always helpful, but just to see like what 800 grams of fruits and vegetables equates to versus the um, same amount of calories in mm -hmm. other types of food, which again, not not to demonize any types of food, but just to illustrate how how nutrient dense foods are typically a lot higher volume. And so I think that's yes. what um, spoke to me initially was to be like, wow, that and, and it was just such an easy 
mark to see, like, am I hitting this or not? So I, I, I really have, have enjoyed seeing your content on that. And I just think that's such a great way to like make the world a healthier place. So you're amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I think, I think that's some of it on social media. And one of the things that I actually really don't like about it, of course, it's wonderful. And I connect with people like you and and meet all these wonderful people. Um, but I feel like it's a lot of talking <laughs> and it's like, okay, we got to, we got to change our habits. We got to change the food habits. And so while certainly not all of my posts are that way, because they actually do take a quite a, quite a lot of time to put together the right calories and all of that stuff. Um, I like showing the plates. I like showing what are we actually talking about? What does this actually look like? It's a good visual for people so that when they go in the kitchen, they, they start to be able to associate that versus me just saying, you know, eat fruits and veggies. And the other thing is about the 800 gram challenge, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the first person to recommend fruits and veggies, right? This this has been around for some time. I think what the 800 gram challenge does that is unique besides it gives some flexibility and doesn't require you to have like seven different food groups every day, but it truly is that number. It's, it's holding yourself to a standard every day. Because if you just say, I'm going to eat clean today, keep using that word, mm-hmm. I'm just going to eat more fruits and veggies. In a modern food environment, it can quite quickly get away from you where if you have this target every day, even if it's not a perfect number, it's a pretty good number. It's a way that you can kind of stay on the path and not get always distracted by everything else around us. Yeah. And to have the flexibility of saying this can be fresh or frozen. Like there are Mm -hmm. a lot of options in order to achieve this overall goal. And from just a nutritionally like foundational uh, perspective, can you speak to why fruits and vegetables? Again, that's something that we Mm. hear all the time, but I love to just revisit the idea of like, why are we even recommending this? What's, what's the purpose in this? Yeah. Um, well, you kind of mentioned I did the I do the plate comparisons. And so in our modern food environment with our processed foods, it's so easy to eat too many calories, but not get a lot of vitamins and minerals. And so fruits and veggies are the exact opposite of that. They have a lot of volume, but not a lot of calories. And for their calories, they have a good amount of vitamins and minerals. And so they help us kind of right the ship, if you will, on this balance of quality and quantity. Too many of our diets have too much quantity and not enough quality. And now with the added addition of the fruits and veggies, we can get that quality up and help decrease the quantity. You're so full on basically water um, that you just don't have as much room for the chips and the brownies. You can still have some, but you just don't have as much room. So that's really what they do. Now, the truth is we get quality in other foods too. We get quality in meat. We get quality in nuts. We get quality in olive oil. Um, It's just that when you look at the foods that we're under eating, it's so obvious we have to look at fruits and veggies. It's like 80% of people aren't getting enough fruit. 90% of people aren't getting enough veggies according to the USDA standards. I mean, there's no other food groups that are just so, so poorly um, hit day to day. And so it's like, if we're going to fix this balance of quality and quantity, we got to go after fruits and veggies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just think underutilized as well, especially coming back to the idea of the supplement industry, being an unregulated industry, you see such a wide variety of of products that people are offering. And a lot of them are kind of like the the green juices and the the vitamins and, you know, which not to knock any of those, there there's, can be a place for good ones. But what has always struck me is, is how comprehensive the micronutrient pot is mm-hmm. from foods that are growing mm-hmm. on the earth. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And totally. so I think that's what is is so interesting is people are drawn to more of the highly marketed and and perhaps simpler supplements that you can have two scoops of this and it's 
equated to, you know, 10 servings of fruits and vegetables or something like that. And while again, that there's a place for that, I, I think it's such a great reminder for me to see, I, I have all the things that my body needs, all of the, you know, the B vitamins and fiber and, you know, all the micronutrients that the body needs to function properly is, is well within a lot of these fruits and vegetables. And of course with other foods as well, but I just think it's, it's almost a little bit miraculous to be like, everything mm. we need is, is quite available from whole food sources. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the supplement industry really took off till 60s or 70s. I mean, I think the first kind of supplement was like 1920s. Um, and it really took off, I think, 1994 with the reclassification of the regulation around supplements. I mean, that's, we've seen a 10x growth since 1994 in supplement products, which is just insane. I think there's over 85,000, 90,000 supplements on the market, which I don't even know what we'd be eating at that point, but apparently yeah. there's enough of that stuff. Can you speak so you to the have... reclassification? How were they reclassified in 1994? So the diet, I'm going to get the, I'm going to get the act wrong, but in 1994, they basically treated supplements like food and not a pharmaceutical, mm. meaning that they could go to market without having been through all of these safety, you know, controls. And so it basically became unregulated and the FDA has power, but it's only on the backside. So something can go out to market, but the FDA would have power if they found out something was wrong with it, where fact. before it would be, yeah, after the fact, before it would be, before you get to market, it's like, well, is this safe? Is this, you know, not contaminated and all of that stuff. So some people really say that that change is kind of what opened the floodgates to the supplement market. I didn't um, realize that was a singular moment. I was thinking it had always been unregulated. So I, mm. I appreciate the history lesson there. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of this stuff I look into at some time and then it goes out of my brain a couple of months later when people ask me about it, but yeah, there's a 1994 supplement act, which basically regulated as food, you know, it, it's like, and you, you can kind of understand why in the sense of, okay, whey protein, it's like cow's milk. So is cow's milk going through the same scrutiny as a pharmaceutical? Right. So believe me, I understand the difficulty of trying to um, regulate food that doesn't fit so neatly into boxes. And so I get it. I think though, you know, hindsight being 2020, it's like, okay, well, this maybe wasn't really the the best and, and whether or not they're going to change it. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I think what you bring up um, is, is really a good point to think about. It's like, how did we get here as a human species before we had all these supplement products? Now we have to be careful to think that everything, you know, in paleo era is better, but it does make you pause to think, okay, well, is it really necessary? We really have to be looking for better outcomes to decide if this is better, not just, okay, because it's around and because it's popular. Yeah. Well, and I think that in your name, the idea of optimizing nutrition, I think at this point with availability of food, we have a greater chance to do so. Whereas I think mm -hmm. people have survived without supplements, perhaps not optimizing their health. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. now I think with the knowledge that we have, that's so easily accessible. Totally as well as food that typically you can find year round, most things. Uh, I think that that's where we are in a, a great time in history is, is the chance that not only do we have the resources to survive, but we really do have mm -hmm. the resources to thrive and to optimize our health, which I think is a really spectacular totally. bonus. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, EC, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all of your wisdom. Where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, Optimize Me Nutrition on Instagram and Facebook. That's also my website. And then my podcast is The Consistency Project. Which I have listened to and I greatly enjoy. So highly recommend. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah. Thank you. 
Are you ready to lose weight, but you don't know where to start? I have something for free that can help. Here at Brain Diet, I offer a free set your custom macros call. On this call, I'll want to know what your goals are and set you on the nutritional path to achieving them. This is a private call with me where I get all the information about you and your body so I can deliver a custom calorie and macronutrient count that when implemented will lead to weight loss in a kind and nourishing way. And if you're ready to hire a coach to walk you through every step of your weight loss journey, I'll tell you everything you need to know about that too. So if it's your time to start losing weight in a sustainable, healthy, and nourishing way, sign up for this free set your custom macro call at the link in the show notes. I'll see you soon.